This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like memes, shitposts, Australian politics, um, hop onto Facebook and find us there. My name's Noon and with me is my co-host. Hey, Zach the Snack, how you doing everybody? We have a jam-packed show for you this week. I can't believe we've never started an episode by saying that before, but it's true. It's true. They've been jam-packed every week for a long time. We've just been bumping up over that <laughs> one-hour mark. We've been jam-packing them. Um, but now we've got a nearly one-hour-long interview that is going to be our, our main story this week. So um, we've try, we're have we going to try and rush through all of our regular news um, as quickly as possible. Um, but yes. It's, it's not going to go well. I can already tell. We spoke last week about the uh, University of Melbourne casuals organizing to get a whole bunch of back pay um, in stolen wages from the uni. And I've got two of the organizers who are also friends of mine on the show, um, Nick and Sophie. So stay tuned for that later in the show. Uh, but first, uh, before well, before we get into the rest of the news, I also wanted to mention that Noon... You're doing a SnackPod's first ever guest spot on another podcast. It's very exciting. That's right. So I'm going to be appearing on this week's episode of Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses, I think is their tagline. That's, that is. Yeah. Well, um, ina- inadequately said. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm just practicing for when I when I go on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's cool. They're, they're a, a show like us. They're young Ozpol lefties. Uh, check out the show. It's real good. Um, so I'm going to be appearing on it as a guest host this week, and I'm pretty sure next week you're going to do that, Zach. Um, uh, Is that yeah. right? I think that's what we me, figured but... out. <laughs> so so we'll... you... I'm not turning it down by any means. Um, uh, also, last week we completely forgot to shout out um, our new patron, Lucinda, who just signed up. Thank you so much for supporting Thank the you. show. And sorry that we didn't shout you out in a timely fashion. Um, and... That was extremely bad of us. Also, thanks to Cal for upgrading your Patreon pledge. That's really lovely. All right, Thank you, let's Cal. get into our first meant to be three minutes, but going to go way too long segment. Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. Now, come on, we're having another round of coronas. Okay, so obviously things are continuing in Australia, but the first little bit of corona news I wanted to mention was that um, there's been four cases uh, in Auckland in New Zealand, uh, their first cases in 100 days, and Auckland is now in stage three lockdown, and the rest of the country is back to sort of social distancing measures. And since then, there's been 37 confirmed cases in New Zealand. Um, and... I don't know. I think it's noteworthy because they're, you know, our, our neighbors across the ditch or whatever. But um, it, they've been out of lockdown for nearly four months. They've just been like having regular life, no restrictions or whatever. But imagine if we in Victoria had gone to stage three after four cases, we would not be in the shit show that we were in right now. Hmm. Okay, so next piece of Corona news. Um, also on the note of shit show, the Aged Care Royal Commission is continuing. Um, yep. And so there's into um, aged care in general and specifically they're looking at COVID-19 deaths and there's a a quote from Pete Rosen uh, QC who's um, assisting the commission and he said presently 68% of all COVID-19 deaths in Australia relate to people in residential aged care 
Uh, and then Brendan Murphy, who's the chief health officer, um, today told a Senate committee – well, not today, sorry, this is a quote from an article um, – he was saying that using those figures to suggest Australia was performing poorly was a, quote, extraordinary interpretation of statistics and labelled the conclusion, quote, <laughs> ludicrous. And he said, when you have a very, very low death rate generally, and then the age death care rate is uh, as a proportion is high – that's right. That's what they're saying, is that a lot of people are dying in aged care. It's not actually an argument against them, Mr. Murphy. So maybe you could um, get someone else to write Do your, your comments or something. Do your job. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, also, what's been going on is that the, the state Victorian government and the federal government are having a big shit fight about whether or not the feds offered Victoria army people to do hotel quarantine security. Um, mm. and oh, as someone under lockdown, that's what I'm constantly worrying about. So I'm really glad that they're litigating this. Yeah, that's right. And it's we, we don't actually know. It's unclear if we're ever going to find out. Um, but from what I can see, it seems likely that the feds did offer that. Um, and my two pieces of evidence for that is one is that Daniel Andrews is very, very careful in the way that he's denying knowing about it, saying things like, I was not made aware of any offer like that, um, that aren't saying mm. that it didn't get made. And also because um, three different ABC journalists that I've heard um, in the last couple of days have said that they've been told by senior federal ministers that they are, like, personally very upset because the state government is lying blatantly and not just, like, playing political shenanigans, but, like, lying. And they think that's mm. just not on or something. So anyway... <laughs> Watch this space. Uh, but Lying in politics is a big no-no, as we all no, know. No, that's right. You have to just misrepresent things. That's much mm. more ethical. Yeah. Or use words that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. which is very different from lying. Yeah. Come on. We're in the woozle-wuzzle business here, people. Just give us a woozle or a wuzzle, Dan Juice. Um, <laughs> but also, as you said, Zach, like, this probably is not the most important... I mean, you said it sarcastically that it was, but this is not the most important thing to be <laughs> fighting about because, amongst other things, it's come out that the hotel quarantine outbreak in Victoria was from a hotel staff member, not the security people that the Andrews government was supplying. So, like, mm. who, whose fault is that? I mean, probably if they'd had more competent security guards, it still wouldn't have resulted in such a big outbreak. So may, maybe the patient zero isn't so important. But, uh, yeah. And then this last point is a big story that's only sort of tangentially corona-related, but it's like corona economics or whatever. Um, So maybe we'll talk about this more next week. But uh, the government is going to stop giving hex loans to students who don't do well. Um, So only people who don't need a degree will be able to get one, I guess. Um, But anyway, yeah, so Yeah, if you're experiencing any kind of problem in your life that means that you can't get more than 50% passing grades in your course, then you obviously shouldn't be in uni. Or Learning if you want to be in uni, you have to pay your fees up front. Because that's a, it's they won't be able to get hex. You can still study. You just have, you just to, have, have to have a huge amount of money lying Tens around. of thousands of dollars yeah. that you can pay at the beginning of your degree. Yeah. Fantastic right. stuff. Um, yeah, so fantastic that I think we need a, uh, a, a, a change of pace, something a bit nicer. But also just a quick content warning on this one, we're going to be discussing LGBT conversion therapy. So um, we'll put time codes in the show notes if you want to skip this section. So Queensland has passed a bill banning health service providers from using LGBT conversion therapy, basically making it illegal to, quote, attempt to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation or gender identity so this is part of a broader cool. health legislation amendment bill in Queensland, uh, making them the first state to make 
uh, conversion therapy, at least partially illegal. That's awesome. Um, there's prison time uh, attached and big penalties. Um, if listeners are not familiar with conversion therapy, it's basically... Uh, it's based on the assumption that gayness is like a disorder or an affliction or like a medical disease that can be cured and attempting to turn people straight, usually through religious practices like praying the gay away or like doing exorcisms, sometimes like big mm. public exorcisms in front of like hundreds of people, uh, aversive techniques, basically um, trying to get gay people to associate same-sex attraction with like strongly negative uh, stimuli. Um, like basically self-harming, like, like that rubber band self-harm technique is one. I don't know. We're, yeah, don't need all to go sorts of really awful detail. stuff. Yeah. yeah, constant reinforcement, making Quakers feel like they're wrong, that they won't be able to go to heaven because they're gay and that kind of thing. Um, uh, the thing is th- about this is that most of these conversion therapy practices aren't carried out in health service settings. They're mm. carried out in religious settings um you know it's it often happens within the church and you know it's well documented that there are like camps that uh concerned christian parents send their kids to in order to sort of have them turn straight because they're worried about them um but that said you know conversion therapy uh as and as we know it doesn't work because gayness isn't a disease yeah it's not something that could be cured or fixed or pulled out of someone that is a ridiculous uh idea it's 2020 people get with the fucking program um but still it's legal pretty much everywhere in the world so although this is a, a small step forward it's a positive one uh worth pointing out while we're here that the entire liberal national party voted against specifically the part of the bill that made conversion therapy illegal The shadow health minister said that the bill is, quote, making doctors into criminals, which I think is an interesting complaint to make because, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of laws about what doctors can and can't do. Yeah, doctors are criminals if if they they commit crimes. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) weird point to make. Uh, I will close out here just with a quote from uh, a joint statement from the Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity Change Efforts Survivors which is a, an advocacy group and Brave Network, which is um, like a faith-based LGBTQIA uh, organization. Um, and they say, overwhelmingly, the bulk of harm occurs over time in informal settings, not in therapeutic contexts. Health professionals are only very rarely involved in conversion practices in 2020 and therefore must, must not be the sole focus of any legislation or response. So as always with Positivity Corner, it's mixed, yeah. um, but we'll take it where we can get it. But this fight obviously isn't over. And now, Zach, I think you've got a related blurs take. Yeah, well, if we're talking about um, religious fundamentalist conservative buttholes from Queensland, mm. then I think <laughs> and we could, are, could, and we are. I think you could consider this story extremely related. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. So since we're trying to blow through all our notes here because we're, we're like we've got such a jam-packed show, I'm going to spare you many of the details of this. Mm. But essentially, this is a story about our, our favorite shit eater, Lyle Shelton. So, um, you might remember earlier this year a group of bigots stormed a drag queen story time at a public library in Queensland um, that was uh, being conducted by drag queen Diamond Goodrum and uh, queer activist Johnny Valkyrie. Um, the, it was kind of in the news at the time because the per, one of the people who led that protest was a young man named Wilson Gavin who later uh, took his own life um, in the wake of that protest. And anyway, at the time, Lyle Shelton wrote a big blog post about it. 
um, basically saying that children shouldn't be exposed to drag queens. He also like repeatedly misgendered Johnny Valkyrie, who was a trans yeah. man. It's really gross stuff. Um, but so Johnny Valkyrie and Diamond Goodrum have gone to the Queensland Human Rights Commission, basically saying that the uh, blog post is vilification under Queensland's anti-discrimination laws. And so Shelton has been compelled to go to a conciliation meeting at the Queensland Human Rights Commission. So what did he do? Well, he wrote a blog about it because he's a blogger. That's what he is now. He's not yep. uh, like an anti-same-sex marriage campaigner because that ship has yeah, that's long lost. sailed. Yeah. Mm. yeah, he's just a blogger. He opens the blog with this line, I had hoped this day would not come, but it has. It's such uh, a and, fucking melodramatic piece of writing. Oh, it's, it's, it's Seriously, it's so fucking over the top. Um, he, he goes on to... Um, like he says something about uh, Johnny Valkyrie, like saying that he was that Shelton was guilty before even getting to the commission, and then says, "Quote: I kid you not. Sounds like a good title for a book, right? The first chapter of the sequel of which is being written now. The title of his autobiography is I kid you not, the one with the amazing pull quote from his sister, sister being on the like, back. Oh, he's like, had a rough time. <laughs> oh, he loses, he loses and loses, and it's amazing how much he just keeps on losing." Um, the the other um, thing that he touched on in this post was that um, he repeats the claim that he, the, the officers of the Australian Christian lobby were attacked <sighs> by a, a bomber, which um, the police by have a, said, quote, no. same-sex marriage activist. Yes, that's right. And um, <laughs> that, like, the police have repeatedly said, like, no, that is not what happened. The van explosion was unrelated to the fact that it happened next door to the building that has your office in it. Um uh, and then he misgenders Johnny Valkyrie a whole bunch more because he's a massive piece of shit. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, I thought this was funny. Quote, I objected to Johnny being placed in front of children as a role model because Johnny represents and celebrates the idea that gender is fluid, a dangerous idea to sow into the minds of children. Um, interesting that that is what he's talking about and not like, for example, conversion therapy, which we know results in higher levels of depression, anxiety, drug abuse, and suicidal ideation amongst people who have been abused using it Mm. so yeah interesting line to draw there um it was also funny that throughout the post he refers to diamond goodrim as just like goodrim like it's her last name (laughs) like also he says um that this is like named after a homosexual sex act which it's (laughs) not like anyone can lick a butthole bro yeah (laughs) Right, try it out. Um, maybe it'll loosen you up. There's a lot um, of conservatives my... telling them on themselves this week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have time for Ben Shapiro, but... <laughs> oh, my uh. goodness. Um, moving on. The, my favorite quote from um, Lyle's blog post. Oh, it's so good. I bear no ill will towards Valkyrie and Goodwin because as human creatures it's like me, true, but sure. they, are made <laughs> they are made in the image and likeness of God. We are all equal before God, but not all public policy ideas are equal, and these should be contested in a free and open society using blogs if necessary. It's so amazing. He using is blogs a Christian soldier. He, <laughs> this is he the last is marching resort. through Zach, the look, valley. They've tried, they've tried abusing children. They've tried campaigning. Uh, they've tried church. It's down to the big guns. <laughs> Uh, just to close it out, he's also spends a whole bunch of time complaining about the fact that there's a government-funded LGBTI legal service that Valkyrie yep. and uh, Diamond Goodrim are taking advantage of, and then goes to talk about, I'm only being advised by the Human Rights Law Alliance, which gets no public money. 
Which, yeah, because they were founded with seed money provided by the Australian Christian Lobby. Your organization, bro, all they do is religious free speech cases. Like, they were basically set up to fight Lyle Shelton's court cases. Yeah. Of yeah. course they get no fucking public money, bro. He also says this, There's all, there is no equivalent taxpayer-funded legal service for mainstream Australians. And notwithstanding that mainstream Australians is like... Hilarious term. We all know what you mean, dude. Fuck off. Um, but there are. There are community legal services that literally anyone who lives in, like, the catchment area can go to. So, shut the fuck up, Lyle, and eat shit. Here, here. Hmm. I think it was slightly more than three minutes, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's worth it to love at Lyle. It's, it's, I, yeah. we, you have to have a good chocolate Lyle from time to time. Um, especially oh, um, because sorry, I, I, I forgot to say, the result of that um, hearing at the Human Rights Commission was that uh, there was no conciliation. Lyle has refused to point blank to take his blog down. And uh, Johnny Valkyrie and Diamond Goodwin are not withdrawing their complaint. So the next step will be to go to the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal to be heard by a judge. So this is definitely not the last we've heard of this. Uh, we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled for hilarious developments in the story of Lyle Shelton eating shit on the national stage once again. Okay, um, now we're going to move on to our First Nations story, which is a devastating one, as it so often is. Um, and the, I guess from my point of view, the story is that the federal government have once again confirmed that they don't care about Aboriginal land or culture or people. Um, and so this is about the Jaburung Embassy and the trees. Uh, there are some birthing trees that uh, where the state government wants to build a road. And um, they're trying really, really hard to not have to take care of these trees at all. Um, and there was an application to grant these trees protection that was sent to the federal minister, and uh, who was uh, federal minister of the environment, Susan Lay, who we've talked about at great length in our episode on Lazy Susan. Um, and she said that she wasn't going to give them protection because there was already an agreement which would pr protect them. And she said that based on that agreement reached in 2019, she found, quote, the trees will be retained with planned works and permanent structures being diverted away from them at biologically meaningful distance to ensure their ongoing survival and health. Um, the Jabirung Heritage Protection Embassy argued uh, that the trees are still under threat because that agreement that she was talking about isn't legally binding. Um, and Lei said that, uh, no, well, the road authority, they're going to honour their commitments and that the trees were, quote, not likely to be physically injured or desecrated. Um, oh well, if it's not likely, it's probably not. It's probably not going to happen, right? It's not like this has happened thousands and thousands of times before. Every time we build a road, fucking anywhere, so it's probably not going to this time. Anyway, she also contradicted herself very strongly, um, and I'll just read you these two quotes. One, she said that she was, quote, satisfied that there is a cultural connection that renders five of the six trees particularly significant. I'm going to pause there to say, fuck you. In Why what way only is that five? your decision? Yeah, fuck off. To continue. <laughs> she says, uh, five of the six trees particularly significant with a degree of antiquity involving Aboriginal traditions, observances, customs, and beliefs that are passed down from generation to generation. But she also said that she didn't think the trees were, quote, a significant Aboriginal object because there was some divided opinion about them in the community. So, I'm just going to repeat myself here, but Right off, Susan Lee. <laughs> um, but also, you know, you're saying like, oh, these trees are already protected, so we don't need to do anything. Like, why not 
double protect them because you, you've got nothing to lose, right? Like they're not going to be bulldozed. So just say that you're not going to bulldoze them again. It's fine, right? Except that she knows that they're going to bulldoze them on day one of construction if they get a chance. So she's lying blatantly through her teeth. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just wanted to finish off with a quote from that application that the Heritage Embassy sent off to her when they were applying for protection. And they said this. These trees are living beings that embody our stories throughout this significant landscape. These old trees are named Delgug, meaning tall person. These trees are our ancestors and we must protect them to the best of our ability. Mm. Yeah, it's real shit. It's a, re- it's, it's a really tr- tragic situation. I mean, it's such, been such a long and drawn out fight. And, I'm, mm. and I know mm. that the um, embassy is not going to take this line yeah. down at all. Mm. Um but yeah, it, it's it's a shame that this. Yeah, I mean, this when we reported on this last time, it was like, oh, you know, there's a another application being considered, and mm. maybe we'll get a positive outcome. But um, yeah, solidarity to to the embassy and um, keep on fighting. Uh, now it's time for a very quick. You fucked up. Uh, almost as quick as <laughs> the withdrawing of this bill. Um, the, we, we have been talking about the Queensland Parliament a little bit this episode. Um, so they did do a mildly positive thing when they, uh, banned conversion therapy in medical settings. Uh, also, and I think that this may have been even on the same day, um, the Queensland Attorney General proposed changes to the Crime and Corruption Commission Act in state parliament that basically would make it illegal for the uh to it would make it illegal to publish allegations about political candidates during an election period like cor- corruption allegations so basically journalists could so be sent silly. to jail for 6 months for reporting on corruption allegations about but only uh, during an election like only at the time when people actually get a chance to participate in parliament to some extent that's mm. when you're not allowed to talk about corruption yeah uh, so, and it just like was just such an obviously heinous idea yeah. that they with the bill was withdrawn to less than twenty four hours after it was introduced. Well, good. They were like, "Hey, we might um put we might imprison journalists for reporting on politicians' corruptions during elections," and everyone was like, "Boo! You suck!" And they were like, "No, no, no, we never said that." Um, Queensland Parliament, <laughs> you fucked up. All right, and uh, this is going to be our last story before we get to the interview. Um, so why don't you play that sting? A C A B A C A B. I mean, I guess this could also be a you fucked up as well. Um, but this is—it's uh, a police fuck up, so it's an A C A B. So. At the BLM protests a couple months ago in Sydney, the police assaulted the protesters with chemical weapons and a bunch of people, uh, like pepper spray or whatever, and they kettled them in uh, an underground station and, like, yeah, uh, assaulted them with uh, chemical weapons in an unventilated area when not letting people leave. Just and normal police stuff. No, literally, it's normal police stuff. Um, Anyway, people complained to the police about it, um, including one person named Samuel Leighton Dorr. Um, and the cops eventually replied with an email saying, uh, fuck off, we don't give a shit what you think. Um, not in those exact words, but that's what they were saying. Um, but then after they sent Samuel this email saying, fuck off, they also sent him a list of all of the emails who had 
of the people who had complained to the police about this. Um, so they'd sent an email being like, yep, here are the people who complained, and like 150 emails or, or something with their yeah, email addresses. Um, it's unclear didn't they also if- complain? Didn't they also tell him that he was the only person who had complained? Yeah, that's right. And then um, they accidentally, or accidentally, sent and published the list of 150 other people who had complained. Right, so there's a, a theory going around that there was a good cop in there who accidentally emailed Samuel this list of complainants, um, but... I think wow, it's way much to take the most likely... generous possible reading of that. Well, like these lying thugs like... just right. all, like fucked up sending an email because of course they did. Haven't you seen the I... wire? They only got computers in like 2017. I have personally still typing made this with two exact fingers. same mistake and sent a database worth of email addresses to the Greens, who then sent them all like emails being like, hey, do you want to donate to the Greens? And I got in a small amount of trouble about it. Um, so yeah, I... I, I, I... Based Sounds to me like experience. you were a good Samaritan doing Just the Lord's the work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, Leighton Dorr called the police who, um, after hearing what happened, asked him to hold and then hung up on him. Uh, they also lied to him saying, he, uh, he said, I was told more than once I was the only one who complained. And he said this, the whole experience for me has really revealed this circle jerk of power. And shout out City Morning Herald for publishing the word circle jerk. Um, there doesn't seem to be actual in- infrastructure in place for recourse on police abuse. And several times they'd never heard of the LECC, um, which is the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, the like ones that check that the cops aren't doing cop crimes. Um, but a lot of them had n- never heard of that body. So that's cool. They're clearly doing a great job. Yeah, no, they're just keeping their nose clean. Um. Yeah, and it's it's unclear if they sent this list of emails to anyone other than Samuel, but it is definitely a crime for them to have sent him this email. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder if the LEC oh, will be in- investigating that. To be fair, it, it would have been a crime if someone who wasn't a cop did it. Uh, that's such a good point. Like beating up teenagers while you're on the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or locking a whole bunch of people in an, in an enclosed space and spraying them in the face with an extremely aversive substance mm. <laughs> aka my nine to five as a cop um cool all right i think <laughs> that does it for the the new south wales police um that does it that does new it. south wales police you're out of you're here. out of here <laughs> you're on the Oz, you're on the Ospol snack pod shit list all right this was what did it up until yeah, this, now you've been <laughs> right up against the line there <laughs> this one tipped you right over sunny jim all right Okay, let's finish this quickly so that our listeners can uh, get to that sweet interview with Nick and Sophie. Yeah, we got that big interview coming up for you now um, with a couple of the organizers behind the wage theft campaign at Melbourne Uni, amongst many other cool things. So I hope you enjoy this chat, and Noon and I will check back in with you in about 50 minutes. All right, I'm here with Nick Robinson and Sophie Onorato from the University of Melbourne Casuals Network. They are organizers and also friends of mine. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. And you've got busy schedules. Um, Do you want to just quickly introduce yourselves a little bit like... uh, how, you know, what you do at University of Melbourne in general and um, how you got involved with casuals organizing. You go first, mm-hmm. though. Okay. Um, so my name's Sophie. Um, I'm a PhD student um, in history at Melbourne Uni. 
Um, and I'm also, I've also worked as a casual on various contracts since 2016, um, doing sort of research assistant stuff, but also casual tutoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I sort of got involved in the union was because <laughs> Nick started getting involved in the union. <laughs> don't, don't say that, Sophie. That's not a cool thing um, to say. No, it's, it's not. A, but no, it, it's a good reason, though. My well, friend, love. Like, it's, my, yeah. my partner is, <laughs> a, 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 is political, so I am too. Yeah. No, it <laughs> was it was more that Nick had been sort of um, tutoring and stuff before I did. So he started getting involved um, in the union, and I started going along to meetings. And then I thought it was cool. And then I got active. Anyway, maybe, Nick, you should do your <laughs> intro. How did you get active, Nick? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, who... Why did I get active? Well, I guess because when you're, when you're like a University of Melbourne, okay, so to introduce myself, yeah, um, I've worked on various casual contracts for about six years. Um, I'm a PhD candidate, I mean, at the University of Melbourne as well. And I've also worked um, for the sort of past year, um, I did work on and off as a union organizer at the branch at the University of Melbourne as well. Um, mm-hmm. And how did I get involved? I mean, like, well, shit, I don't know. It was just, it's just pretty obvious. Like, I think the problem is, like, I think at first I started doing casual tutoring and I just thought it was, like, amazing. I just thought it was so cool. And all the kids, mm. well, they're not really kids, but, you know, it's, like, the kind of esteem that's sort of, like, that you're granted in that position is just, it feels so good. And then you get to brag to your cousins that you, like, you're, like, a tutor and you sort of blur the lines to make it kind of look like you're more than a tutor, like you're sort of like a lecturer even, you know, like you're like a really big deal. <laughs> and everyone's like, <laughs> well, It's funny that you say that because, um, you know, you obviously like you guys are my personal friends and uh, as well as a number of other uh, people that I know uh, teach at uni um, and I've got family members who do as well. And honestly, I was, uh, I feel silly saying this, but I was shocked to learn that all of my friends were employed casually at the uni because mm. It was just so very fucking clearly a full time job and so much work, and to then and to then realize it, yeah, oh no, it's like I could just at any point not be given any more hours and not have a job anymore. It was like, yeah, it was it was a bit of a revelation to me. I guess when I thought of casual work, my mind went to like the gig economy and uh, hospo and that kind of like. I mean, that was more my experience with it, mm. but the fact that it's so rampant at these massive institutions was um genuinely a bit of a shock to me um and so i mean listeners will will know last week we discussed um the the basically there's this whole wage theft repayments thing going on at university of melbourne at the moment which coincided as well with the university announcing like a huge amount of job cuts as Mm. well 450 positions i think it was um, and so that's the kind of, that's the campaign, um, the wage theft stuff that I wanted to get into with you. But as I understand it, I mean, that kind of came off the back of casuals organizing at University of Melbourne that had been going on for a while mm. before the wage theft stuff came up. Cause I mean, from the outside, from my perspective, this wage theft stuff just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Um, when I'd been sort of following the, uh, you know, your organizing and your fantastic memes, which I'll get into later, um, <laughs> as part of the um, more general organizing around casual conditions at the at the University of Melbourne. So, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things that we talked about last week was that 
dis-wage theft stuff had been going on for a while. So there was the ABC report um, said that some of the practices went back over a decade, which, and I'm sure longer. Mm. Um, and so I guess I'm interested to know um, why, why is it coming up now and how did this kind of casual organizing, why is it only, it seems to be a relatively recent thing. Is that true? And if so, why is that? Um, so, well, look, like, that's a lot of questions. Um, yes. So why is it only coming up now? Um, I think it's more why is the media only paying attention now? Is mm-hmm. maybe the larger question. Um, because, and I think that's maybe the only reason why we're hearing about it now, I think it's just because the tertiary sector is just very much in, very much in the news cycle right now. In yeah. a way, like it's just that was two enormous stories to drop on one day. Yeah, from well, the I same don't... uni as well. Yeah, look, without without putting myself in a liable position, it's probably. Do you think that's a coincidence? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Legally speaking, yes. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would agree. Now, look, I think um, you have to like the reason why it's happening now. I think is purely just because questions around funding and the the ethics of the university system and the future of the university and the kind of downsizing that's happening or at least alleged, you know, the downsizing that's that's being threatened at some universities and already being carried out at other universities has just put um, the sector in the kind of spotlight. And so Mm. wage theft becomes, I think, an interesting story in that context. But we've we've been trying to get the attention of the media for years. Um, Mm. Yeah, I, I remember, I think one of my, uh, Ben, the, one of the organizers that I work with, who also was um, a casual at the University of Melbourne, he sent a, um, he, he sent an email to like a paper a little while ago with a, with um, a wage theft story. And he got an email back that was just like, thanks, comma, I'll put it on the pile of wage theft stories. No full stop. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I could, and we didn't really get into it last week, but um, obviously there's a broader context of wage theft being a massive problem throughout this country. Um, And some of the estimates, like there's, it's really hard to calculate exactly how much money is stolen from workers by bosses every year, but it's in the billions. um, And it depends who you ask, obviously. Um, And so, yeah, obviously it's important to view this like exploitation of workers in the tertiary sector as an extension of just of massive broader economic like systemic problems but it is an interesting environment for it to occur in because like we're talking about especially when we're talking about university of melbourne really moneyed places right and i know that like one of the um points that was sort of repeatedly hit on by a lot of your campaigning that i saw online was how massively overpaid the top executives are um um, sophie do you want to speak a little bit to um (laughs) i've seen you sharing maybe this is a good time to bring in a meme we have a segment on the show um shit post of the week and when you guys started posting memes around this uh early in the earlier in the campaign i meant to give it to you i meant to award you shit post of the week collectively but I, it's on me. I missed. I missed the boat. I forgot. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, your amazing um, 
Love Actually parody, which was just, <laughs> it's so good. Nick and Sophie doing the, um, that awful scene from Love Actually where the guy stands and he's playing the Christmas carol music and he's got the placard saying that he loves Kira Knightley or whatever. I don't know. What do you mean um, awful scene? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, wait, what did you? Really romantic. Yeah. <laughs> from beloved, universally beloved feminist masterpiece. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> Love oh, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it, was but there was the other one that was shared around the time. Sorry? Was it, the, it, was, it was a homage that we were doing, you know. We it, were, an we homage, were, sorry. Yeah, we were honouring the memory of the, that beautiful th- film. And, it, and you did honour it, and we'll put the link to that in the show notes because everybody should see it. But the other one that I saw you share, Sophie, <laughs> yeah. is one that was put together In case you haven't by... seen Love Actually. It's, <laughs> it's an awful, awful movie um, featuring Mr Bean as an angel. Um, but there was this other one shared that you shared at the, at the time, Sophie, um, mm. which I think was made by someone else, Sally Olds, maybe? Yes. Oh, I love oh that Oh, my name. God. That name <laughs> is so, so good. It's so good. Um, I just really wanted to shout it out. So it's the it's kind of like that um, dog variation on the Chad Virgin meme where you've got this one super big muscly dog and this one little, like, virgin dog. And the virgin dog has the, like, picture of the of Uni- University of Melbourne's um, – Vice-Chancellor, <laughs> and it says, uh, can't survive on less than $1.5 million a year, universally reviled, commercialized research, recites Shakespeare in dystopian internal video memos, British, of course, needs uni to house him and drive him, disingenuous BLM statement, and you've got the big, muscly dog, which is labeled casual tutors, lives on 25k <laughs> a year in spite, adored by students, Laughs in the face of precarity. Went to a random state school, so never learned Shakespeare, but knows the International by heart. <laughs> Needs nothing to do job except jewel an eight-year-old MacBook. <laughs> Ready and willing to, lo- to lose an eye in BLM rallies. <sighs> That's yeah. a masterpiece. That yeah. beautiful well, what meme I love about like, that one is, is the... Sorry? I was just going to say that beautiful meme was dropped in the last two days of the campaign against that we were writing against the university's variation to our, to our agreement. Um, yes. And like... The, the potential implications of that variation would have been really, really dramatic on, um, on the, around, particularly around like redundancies and the ability to challenge unfair redundancies. So we were really, really worried about losing it. And I, I think mm. I remember when that meme was dropped, um, I, just, I just knew that we were going to win. Like it was just so obvious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the kind of... Like yeah, just we. It was just so clear, um, and it was so. It was just so fucking funny. Um, it's an amazing. It's an amazing piece of work, especially inspiring. because it's full of these like extremely apparent in jokes that I have no frame of reference for, but immediately understood based on the meme alone. Like the recites Shakespeare in dystopian internal video memos, just paints like such a vivid picture, <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it put me there in the email chain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, those videos are so But Sophie, funny. I lined you up for a question and then immediately um, Nick spoke over you. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, I just, I just want to interrupt for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. Um, <laughs> anyway, what was the question, Zach? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I'm, I, I, I'd be interested to hear you talk a little bit more um, just from, I guess... Uh, about the overarching kind of corporatization of universities, I suppose, which mm. I don't have uh, expertise in, obviously, but when I see 
that the vice chancellor is making uh like and the the like double the salary of the prime minister which was um a comparison made in that abc article that we referenced mm. last week it's i mean it it just it smells like a corporation it smells like a ceo like that's what it kind of yeah. looks like and massive bonuses and these kinds of things um so i guess i'm interested from an internal perspective like how you see that manifesting throughout the school and how that has um you know whether that's informed your organizing um i mean yes it definitely has informed our organizing um but i guess i mean i don't know i, I guess probably for the last what would you say nick for the last maybe 30 years or so the sort of the university model has just become increasingly neoliberal um mm. and so you know now it's like you know, staff have like KPIs that they, you know, for their research outputs and that sort of thing. But mm. um, I don't know. I mean, I guess more more generally, there's just a pattern of casualization. Um, so, you know, people are retiring or whatever. And, and then instead of hiring some, you know, giving people promotions and putting them up into like, like in, in terms of the sort of academic workforce at the university, Mm. Um, instead of hiring people and putting them into these permanent positions, it's sort of like they're breaking those positions down and, you know, hiring people in sort of fixed term or sessionals. And, you know, it's sort of this, it's kind of like a de-skilling of the workforce. Um, but also mm. it's not really because it's like the kinds of people who are now, you know, you have these like long-term casuals. This is just a really terrible rant. Um, <laughs> that's what you're here for. That is exactly, that's exactly what I asked you on the show. Um, you know, you have these, like, you have these long-term casuals, whereas I guess, you know, in like the eighties or whatever you have, you had people, you'd finish your PhD, you would get a postdoc somewhere and then you'd get a kind of tenure track position. I mean, we don't really have tenure in Australia, but it's sort of equivalent. We do so, have um, tenure. And, right, you get, you've got rusted ons. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, you get, you get a sort of permanent position after you do your couple of years of sort of precarious kind of casual teaching. But mm. what's happening now is that it's like those people who have been around, they did their PhDs in like the seventies or the eighties. Um, they are starting to retire. Um, and then instead of making those positions available, as I said, they're sort of, um, making them you know, these casual positions. So you have people who have been working casually in the university for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, but you that's still well. have... And that's, and that's what I was saying before. Like, I found it shocking that, you yeah. know, I'd known people who'd been teaching for years and, yeah, um, still in casual positions. Sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's just kind of, it's just kind of fucked, really. And then there's still this kind of <laughs> mentality amongst a lot of the older academics that it's like, you do your time and then you'll get your permanent job mm. um but it's just not it's just not true it's like the whole system has kind of changed um and it's, it's all, all stick no carrot at this yeah stage. yeah and a lot of people have kind of internalized i think this idea that you know it's like i'll be the one who's gonna like transcend and i'll be the one like i just need to write the perfect phd and i'll do Ugh, all of this yeah. like free work and i'll like network and do all the right things um, but well, then, that's part of the beauty of casualization from an employer's perspective, right? Is you create all this competition between insecure workers who yeah. suddenly, okay, who can put the most free work in, who can do the most free marking or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's just, so it's, you know, it's from, it's like the, the university's kind of business model is increasingly corporate, but um, I think the problem is that there's this whole kind of culture as well of neoliberalism that um, sort of is really apparent all the way, like right down from the very mm. top of like VC, Duncan Maskell mm. and all of those like, you know, kind of lizards. And then all the way right down to, you know, PhD students and stuff who and casual tutors who have just started. Um, and it's terrible. And it's really kind of disheartening. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly you're not just, um, you know, agitating for better conditions and, like, for just, you know, because they're just, like, just because you want uh, better working conditions, obviously that's super important, but, you know, you're there because you give a fuck and you actually care about the university and care about learning. And I mean, that's like giving a fuck about your job makes you super vulnerable to an exploitative employer who can then turn that back around and expect you to do extra work beyond what you're getting paid for, especially if you're getting paid to for three minutes of marking an assignment or whatever, like, are you going to do a shit job or are you an academic because you actually care about the subject that you've committed to and therefore going to put in the extra miles? Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. And when also when you're the one who's like fronting up to the class and you have like, you know, 20 little like baby 18 year olds or whatever who are staring at you expectantly and then they ask you a question or whatever, or they're like, why, you know, it's like, you're obviously going to put in extra put in the time that's required to mark their essays and give them proper feedback. And you're going to go to the lecture and you're going to do all of this stuff because you feel responsible and you actually, you also care about them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I would, know. I reckon, Nick, did you want to? Yeah. I was going to say, I reckon, cause you, you would think like, what the fuck? So the workforce at the university of Melbourne is 70% casual. And it's yeah. like, which is wild. Of, that's just wild, so right. Wild. And the kind of responsibility that is we put on the shoulders of, that workforce, you would think that that would be a huge risk to the organization to have so much responsibility given to a workforce that's 70% casual. Usually that, you know, mm. like the, a casual... You'd like be you, massively, you're risking massively decreasing the quality of the ex- teaching well, or whatever. Normally, right? Because it's sort of like you would think what, what disincentivizes um, casualization yep. from a, a work, like a kind of a, a corporation or an institution's perspective is like, yeah, sure. lack of commitment, to the institution, lack of commitment from the worker, um, kind of just like just incredible amounts of kind of alienation and despair. And you, you often have like, often you'll have restaurant, you know, you talk to like a, someone who owns a small business and they constantly complain about the alienation of their workers. And it's like, well, yeah, well, mm. what do you think was going to happen? You pay them whatever, nothing, and you give them no job security and you expect wage, yep. them to work their asses off. But in mm. the university sector, it does work because everyone's committed not to the kind of neoliberals who run the, the university, but to the ideal of the university and like, mm. and the ideal of, and like the ideal of education. And I think every, all the workers take it on themselves, whether they're casual or not, to preserve the kind of image or the meaning of that space, the tutorial space or the lecture or whatever. Um, mm. And almost as if we're constantly fighting against the neoliberalization of the university. And mm. it's like our job to protect the university. Um, but yeah, so that's, and that's, that's how the, the business model runs basically, um, mm. by exploiting that sure. goodwill, uh, which yeah. is, yeah, tragic. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's totally tragic. And it, it's again, one of those cases of like, um, 
capitalism being so uh, ruthlessly like efficient at its job, mm. it's that like you have to you sit back and you're like, wow, there's a certain like sociopathic beauty in how perfectly you've managed to turn the one good thing about someone's job into the thing that undermines them. <laughs> That's yeah. it's so fucking sick. Um, but okay, so you've got this context mm. of massively increasing casualization of the lack of um, the possibility, the massively reduced lack of the possibility of stable employment in the future. Mm. Um, and meanwhile, millions of dollars are still kind of rolling through the uni. And so this is the context out of which um, the casuals organizing emerges and Nick, again, because I am not a professional interviewer by any standard, also not a journalist, I'm really just some guy, asked you to introduce yourself and then cut you off halfway through and started up my own rant. But so maybe we can circle back to where I asked you how you got involved um, with casuals organizing and what your kind of uh, position was amongst the casuals and how that... Um, uh, campaign kicked off around the what's the, what's the term for it? it was the there was the variation but it was the jobs framework was that yeah, the jobs protection framework jobs yeah. protection framework so yeah. yeah is that kind of a good place to kick that story sure, yeah from? it's like it's a long story i mean i think probably to say yeah. it to be very quick to, to, to be as brief as possible we started yes. um other i think other people who tried to organize the casuals in the past i think I think I heard once that a casuals network tried to prop up a few years ago, but it like fell apart because um, the people in it couldn't agree on like a, like um, they couldn't agree on their like uh, reading of Marx or something, and so the <laughs> network fell apart, like shit like that. Um, so, but I don't know. I think basically what <laughs> happened. Tale as old as time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but basically, um, the in two thousand eighteen. Um, the we got involved with the union i mean obviously we're being ripped off a lot as casuals and as, as i was trying to say before mm. it's like you get really excited when you first start because you can't believe that you're doing it you love the esteem um you love the kind of respect that you're given by the students and how much they look up to you and you start to identify with that and it's really exciting and and you love the work obviously um and you love, love getting emails that say, dear Professor Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. fucking weird, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's so, yeah. So it's like, so you'd love Imagine that Imagine when shit. they say Dr. Professor Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. As, as Sophie explained, very quickly you start to realize that you're not that special and the system's totally fucked. And then all of the extra mm. hours you're doing that are unpaid, um, start to add up and you start, they start to hurt more than you feel good doing the work. So in 2018, um, the union was bargaining for um, a decent agreement with the university of like, a, like the, the EBA was happening. They were doing bargaining yep. and we started getting involved. Um, and it was a small group of us at the time of casuals who were just kind of, who just were excited. We'd never been to union meetings before. We'd never been in a union and we rocked mm. up and couldn't believe how, it ran like it was actually it was really cool you know like seeing like hear, hearing Democracy. about the bargaining team going in and the kind of democratic yeah. process of people voting on what they thought the union should be fighting for and the union reporting back and it was cool mm. and then we sort of started getting involved and basically we were kind of organizing around getting a um a provision in our, in the variation to protect casual in the agreement it's in the agreement to protect casual work 
And the thing that we were fighting for was an all hours paid clause. Um, which right. they were, which they were able to get in. So in the fucked end. that that is something that you have to ask but for. But see, that's it, right? Job. Ours is I, the only <laughs> agreement in the country that has an all hours paid clause, um, and that's the, the thing casuals. that's so fucked. It's like that's the kind yeah. of irony of it. That the thing that's changed everything at Melbourne is that our agreement guarantees that the hours that we are worked are paid, and then we just we sort of formed a, a network. Um, and is we that sort of with started... casuals from other universities? No, just casuals no. from other schools and faculties. Gotcha. We started meeting fortnightly and we started to quickly identify a sort of a series of, of issues, um, series of problems that could kind of, that everybody was upset about and everybody wanted to change. We knew we had kind of, um, that we had, like we were obviously in the right. Um, some simple things like, you should be paid to go to a lecture. You shouldn't have to work. Fifty um, percent of the hours that you do when you're marking shouldn't be unpaid. Um, yeah, just like you know, just that super kind of basic shit, basic shit like that. So we start, and then we just started organizing, knowing that we had we, we had the legal protection on our our side. Um, mm. The campaign, and then, yeah, so that that's sort of how it all started. Um, I'm not sure how and much so you want to get into the nitty gritty of the actual organizing process and how we did it and why it worked. But that's mm. that, that was the beginning. Tell me about some of the uh, stuff you did. Tell me about some of the things that you did as part of your, this campaign, some of the actions. Wage theft. Um, you know, wage theft was sort of in the news. Like I remember when that when the whole thing about the George Columbaris um, thing was yeah. in the news and then we were pretty excited because we were sort of working on our own wage theft campaign and then that was all in the news. We were like, holy shit, this is such a like juicy, spicy little topic. Like, mm. you know, let's... It's coming up. Yeah. Wage theft was on the come up. Exactly. The Still is. It's a hot topic. Um, and so we got this... We, we, had, we made these, like, enormous posters that said you don't have to work at, like, a Columbaris restaurant to have your wages stolen. And then the bottom, <laughs> the bottom of these posters, they were, like, you know, A0 enormous posters, and the bottom of the posters had George Columbaris' little bald head on them. Just a little bald. I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them, the little bald head. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And then it had, like, Amazing work. Uni Melb recipe for wage theft, and it was, like, you know, at a pinch of, like, um, whatever, like, what are you? Casualization. Yeah, you know, and just, like, a, you know. A dash of unpaid marking. Exactly, that kind of stuff. It was anyway, good. It was, it was good. It is good. Um, yeah. This is why you don't fuck with, um, like, creatives. Yeah, it was good. It, <laughs> the, the only problem with it, though, was I think it rubbed some of the bald membership the wrong way. We had to <laughs> yeah. go through. We had, we had to do a lot of repairing with the bald membership. Um, there's, like, a there's a there's a caucus of rank-and-file bald <laughs> members, and they were sort of, <laughs> they were pretty upset. Um. Yeah, but, you know, so that was pretty cool. We stuck them, once we, we printed them off and then we stuck them all around the uni. Um, and then on one of the, one of the nights, um, I went into Old Arts, which is where the Dean of Arts office is, and I stuck this enormous poster right outside of his door. Um, and then Nick was being a scared little baby and he was like, Sophie, I don't like this. I can't, I can't be here. I have to go. And I was like, go, Nick, get out of here. I'll do it. Um, and I stuck this big poster outside the Dean's office. Um, and then the next morning at 9am, they emailed the president of the branch and they were like, okay, we're ready to negotiate. <laughs> That's yeah. organizing. Yeah. That's that, some hard bullshit. Well, that was the thing, right? A lot of people talk about this. Part of the problem is that you can, 
part of the reason why the sort of dispute laws are so shit is that basically it's on, you know, the union and the employer, it's their, you know, it's like their, their mutual responsibility to resolve a dispute. And mm. the process can be drawn out infinitely by the employer um, to sort of like drag out the, the, the kind of arbitration process or like the intervention, the intervention of an arbitrator. So mm. it's kind of basically, you know, you sort of, you have to, you can't just have a good industrial argument. You know, you need to have a really strong public campaign mm. that mm. hits the reputation of the employer. So they want to resolve it as quickly as possible as well. Mm. And that was, that's a really good point. And that was, that was always key in our campaign was the way that we kept, we sort of, we, we just, we would just always made sure that what we were doing was really, really public. We had a lot of rallies. Mm. We had a lot of really successful, huge petitions. We had, mm. um, we had, we were constantly postering all the time. One of our most effective posters we were told was peace rates are illegal. And we just put that everywhere, you know, and people, because everyone's mar- everyone marks on peace rates in, in this sector. Mm. So we were, we would constantly get Do, emails. Can you just quickly explain what a peace, rate, peace is? rate is? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. a peace rate is the idea that you have to mark um, like a certain number of words in an hour. So for us gotcha. in the Faculty of Arts, mm. we had they, our contracts. Well, it wasn't even in our contracts, but they said that we had to mark 4,000 words an hour. Um, so, for example, if you're marking like a 500 word assessment, then you're supposed to mark it in seven and a half minutes, which is obviously ridiculous. Like you can't read it. You know, I can't read seven, 500 words. words. In seven, <laughs> I know. Let alone, oh. let alone read it, like assess it, provide feedback, enter it all into like turn it in or whatever and do lots of stuff. So this was one of the main things that we campaigned around our mm. wage theft mm. our wage theft campaign was about. Um mm. Yeah, but, but and, and and a nice simple message. Um, yeah, this shit is illegal. Yeah, we had a lot of I'm really sure, fun, yeah. fun like nights in the union office, like painting banners and mm. coming up with snappy little slogans, making memes, doing paint, you know, painting placards and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, and so it's. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that unions are all full of just like dry, stuffy Marxist types who don't want to have any fun, and it's all just a massive slog, mm. right? We are the union. We, we, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you'd be surprised how few Marxists you might find. Um, but <laughs> sure, certainly dry off. types. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was cool. And then I think the other thing about it is, um, whenever one of the kind of like principles that we ran, we sort of did everything by was like we just wouldn't, we never did anything half-assed. Um, mm. And I think that's sort of the mm. difference between organizing yourself versus having a kind of paid organizer coming in from the outside and trying to run things um, mm. without the points of contact that you have as a member and like an, an actual part of the community of your workplace. It was like, mm. cause like when we wrote the lecture attendance petition, which ended up having, which was fighting against the idea that lectures wouldn't be paid yeah. um, because obviously oh. everybody was super pissed about that. But like originally we, we wrote this like really bolshy kind of petition and it was like super intense and like had all these demands in it. And I was really proud of it. I was like, this thing is fucking badass. People are going to love it. <laughs> and then I went and like passed it around some permanent staff who had said that they would, that they were interested in getting a petition going sort of like quietly, you know, secretly. And they all came back and they were like, we will never sign this, Nick, because it is so aggressive. And they were like, you know, it's like, you know, it's embarrassing to say this, but the managers that you're sending this to, they're, they're our colleagues as well. 
and we mm. would it's just it's just weird to talk to them like this like you know you got you go to dinner with them um mm. and so i had to go back and kind of rewrite the petition in a language that would kind of mediate between all these different interests um humor exclamation point yeah, and yeah smiley faces and then it's sort of we've already written that email yeah, yeah. but then it was like but it did become better in a way because it forced us to kind of articulate our argument in pedagogical terms and kind of like mm. and kind of moral terms um and but then it, it was a total success and it's hundreds like we had it's like we end up getting 350 signatures for it and it was just professor after professor and it just meant that we had the kind of credibility that we needed to then burst into the dean's office when he wouldn't take the petition and mm. shut and shut the fucking shut shut that whole building down mm. for a day because mm. we knew we had the support of the staff we had a mandate um but if you're just doing that as an organizer who doesn't know anybody you can't have those conversations you can't yeah. you can't build that mm. you can't build the the a, a petition that genuinely represents the workers because you, sure. you just don't have this contact. No, so the, and it's what you guys have been saying all along you know that you need to make it happen for yourself as mm. a worker yeah. basically mm. yeah. and it's you know it's fucked that you are put in that position where you have to spend your free time fighting for your job to be not a total piece of shit but like that's the reality at the end of the day. Like we need to take that for ourselves. There isn't anybody else who's going to give it to you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the other things that I was going to talk about was um, also for our actions. We, one of the things that we always did was try and figure out what, like who our target audience was. So sometimes mm. we would specifically target, you know, it's like we wanted to target HR. Sometimes mm. we wanted to target the Dean Sometimes we wanted to target students so we could, you know, and it's like one of the, one of the really good things I think that we did more recently was that we got some of the undergrads involved. So, and we got like the student union um, on board as well. And they are like fucking sick. They're They're the real deal. Um, Yeah. No, I know a few UMSU organizers, who, who, old UMSU organizers and yeah there were some huge actions back in the day do you remember do you, were you guys there for the naked butts yes oh, yeah. i remember that yeah. yeah yeah which i think was an anti was a, a divest from coal campaign yeah yeah, yeah. that was yeah. sick and so yeah they're, they're like they're absolutely amazing and they are happy they're like they'll do i don't know working with them has just been really amazing as well yeah. and it's i think really helped a lot of the visibility um, and I think it's also stressed out the uni a bit because they're worried about reputational damage as well for like future prospective students. Mm. Um, that's been good. Um, oh, it's so it's so good when you have a student union who like actually care. Like, cause it's like, you know, sometimes you have a student union that are like, they're like, they're campaigning to get like trampolines on South Lawn or something, you know? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, fuck, really? It's like, when we, when we went to, to hang out with the student union, we walked in and we we're like, hey guys, we're, you know, we're union organizers. This is when I was a paid organizer at the time. And I was like, hey, you know, I went in there with the other organizer and we were like, let's, let's talk, let's get something going. And there was like five people in there and they all had different like student, they different, had different union shirts. It's like they were like union fans. Like they had like a CFMEU <laughs> yeah, shirt. shirt and they had like the Sparky's union shirt. And it was just like, it was so, I was like, fuck this. They're like union nerds. And they were just like, oh, wow. You know, we love, we love your work. You guys are cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, what? no, you guys are cool. <laughs> you guys are cool. 
Anyway, so we started working together and it was just, yeah, it's just been a fucking yeah. dream. We had some, we had a really good action that we did when um, Melbourne Uni announced that they were going to be doing a commencement ceremony for all incoming first students. So they mm. paid like millions of dollars to rent out the Royal Exhibition Building for like a week. Um, and they had like some, some chick from like the project was like emceeing it. Um, and they had... They just had, they just spent like, like hundreds of, like literally, I think it was millions of dollars just like putting on this big, yeah, fucking, it was a few million. like useless show for like incoming first years. And so we mm. like grabbed on, latched onto that and we were like, you know, they're willing to, you know, basically flush all this money in the toilet when they're not actually paying their tutors properly. So we like crashed the ceremony and had um, all of these banners and stuff. And then I dressed up, the Melbourne Uni logo is, um, it's like that looks like a fairy but it's actually technically nike that like ancient greek goddess then oh, i yeah, yeah vaguely vaguely yeah. i dressed up as nike and then i went <laughs> around with little money bags and i was going around to all of the first years saying would you like your tutors stolen wages and i was handing them <laughs> these little I mean, they were filled with like little gold like coins like the chocolate coins yeah and then some of them were really freaked out and they were like what is this and i was like it's okay i'm not poisoning you it's just chocolate money this is organizing yeah, yeah. this is stolen wages you're gonna have to get used to it yeah. if you're a Melbourne <laughs> student. they're really don't tasty. worry they taste delicious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this works um yeah you know and and the uni was like so stressed they like got undercover cops to come and like because they got word <laughs> they got wind that we were planning an action and they thought that we were going to like actually storm the building and like i don't know well it wouldn't be the first time we stormed a building you know but like yeah i don't know that we were just gonna like i don't know get fucking the vice chancellor in like a headlock and noogie him or something yeah but it's like we're, we're not gonna do that that's practice <laughs> yeah anyway um but we didn't we just like picketed it basically <laughs> the dean um, sent an email out like before the commencement ceremony basically asking that 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 the that the, you know the union the union the casuals union didn't the union members didn't ruin it for like students who we yeah. cared very much, very deeply about. And it was just, like, <laughs> it was so funny. Like um, just that the, I just, yeah, the visibility and the, uh, the genuine power of the union at the university is a very exciting thing at the moment. Yeah. No doubt. Um, and it's not just because the dean writes like whingy emails. Like it's more than that. <laughs> God, he writes really. But I mean, you're not going to complain about the whingy emails. I mean, that's yeah. not. That's a little. It was funny. Nice... It was very, very, very funny. So yeah, basically, this kind of wage theft stuff, I reckon, has been building slowly for the last two years. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's only now that it's, um, kind of being sort of finalized, which is sick. Yeah, I think it's worth maybe saying that I think the reason why what we did was so successful, mm. part, I mean, partly it was because we just ran, it was two things, I think. One was that we were kind of embraced into the sort of infrastructure of the union. We were given all of the industrial knowledge and the resources that we needed to run our own campaign. Mm. So, and that was key. Like They just kind of gave us what we needed and just said, go, run. Um just do it. Yeah. And it worked really well. And the other mm, thing I course. think... No, and I've, talk, I've talked a bit, a bit about the casuals organizing me relatively new, but you were obviously starting from the, the very solid base of like the NTEU and having those resources there, which is very Yeah, the cool. union existed, which was good. And I mean, really basically, <laughs> all, it, 
See, it's like what 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 the, what the union can do for casuals when they're starting to get organized is one, mm. you know, lend them the this 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 kind of historical signifier. Um, yeah, and and give them the and then because then we we can reinvest energy and new meaning into it, but then at the same time and like make it seem relevant um, to our conditions. But also, it's like we're borrowing on the history of it and using that history to remind everyone that what we're doing is labor. It's like because mm. the the thing that we're sort of fighting yeah. against, I think, is this. You know, on on one side, there's the sort of austerity discourse of the university which is in one yeah. sense kind of manufactured because they're so rich, but in another sense isn't manufactured because, like by them, is real because they, universities don't know when, where their funding is going to come from. They don't know whether their funding is going to be cut. So they're kind of, they're mm. sort of perpetually running this kind of, this kind of endless austerity cycle of kind of stealing, as, like not stealing, trying to take as much money as they, like cream as much money off the top and then hide it away. Um, yeah. So... But the, so it's like you're fighting against that, but you're also fighting against the way that academics and senior academics internalize that austerity and believe that sure. we're, it's all of our job to keep the university going at whatever cost. Um, yeah. So it's like being able to have the signifier of the union for everyone to get behind and remind each other that this is labor, this is real work, this is, this is our actual future that's being stolen from us in a way um mm. um it's it was really powerful um and so yeah it was like, and every time we wanted to get more from the union or get deeper into the union's sort of infrastructure it was the door was always open um which was fantastic well, sorry yeah and but i think that also um one of the things as well it's like you know what can the union do but it's also one of the things that I think was really empowering for a lot of the casuals was realizing that they were the union, mm. you know, there was like this whole, um, I think that there's, there's this whole sort of idea of like the service model of the union, which is that it's like, you haven't, you're a worker, you're a member of the union, but then you go to the union to try and solve your problem. And you say, this is my issue, like fix it. Um, mm. But one of the things that we sort of started doing was, you know, in doing this casuals network as well, it's sort of like, we were working with, you know, the like um, the branch president and the industrial officers and the like or, um, paid organizers, but also we were organizing ourselves um, and totally. we were making these decisions ourselves. And it was very like sort of grassroots democratic member led kind of organizing, yeah. which I think was really powerful. And that um, I think for a lot of the casuals, because working at the university you, is incredibly alienating. There's so much insecurity. But being able to like come together and meet people, meet other people who are in the same sort of position as you, but like me, I'm working in history, but then it's like, we've got friends who work in physics, in math and statistics, in architecture, in like computer engineering. And it's, so it's like, you're meeting all these people who you wouldn't normally, which is ridiculous because it's like, we all have the same job really, but you're meeting all these people mm. who you wouldn't normally meet and you're sharing these stories and you realize that, you know, you're all like fucking, you're all comrades. And then, you know, yeah. and it's like, and it's great. And it's like amazing. And you have this like sense of community or whatever, and you're able to, you know, workshop ideas and make these decisions. And then, you know, you're organizing rallies or you're like storming the head of HR's like building and you're marching up the fucking staircase and you're like piling into this room with like, you know, 30 other casuals 
and you're there like sharing, you know, your story and like, you know, the head of workplace relations at Melbourne Uni is there like sweating, um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and it was awesome. It's so good. Um, so I think it's like, yeah, just remembering that like, you know, you are the union as well. And it's like, you know, the union's resources are your resources, um, which, yeah, that's, that was just really great. I think. Yeah. I, I think it's that. a super, yeah, abs- that, I mean, that's a really inspiring thing to hear. And I think a really important thing to hit on in general with organizing and activism is how um, fulfilling and invigorating it can be. I mean, a lot of the time standing up for these things and going to rallies and stuff like that, personally, for me, it can occasionally sort of feel a bit like work, I guess, getting mm. out there and, and doing it. Not that I'm in any way involved in um, organizing to the same extent that you guys are. But of course, there's you know the flip side of it as well, which is what you get back. Um, as you say, in, in community and solidarity and also the rush of uh, success and also standing up for what is just. I mean, that should, <laughs> like, you know, it's uh, really nice to hear that um, expressed so beautifully. That's probably about what we've got time for. We've been going for, like, 45 minutes. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll offer, I'll offer again, is there anything that um, we haven't kind of touched on that you wanted to squeeze in there? I don't um, think so. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe just a shout out to Annette Herrera. Yeah, shout out to Annette. Yeah. It's Annette like, is like our glorious leader. Yeah. Um, she's amazing. Yeah. And she, she's just a fucking legend. Yeah, because it, it would be wrong to say that we just organized ourselves. I mean, really, Annette who was not working as an organizer at the time was just yeah she was like a watching as, yeah it's just like a patron saint of labor basically just like came in and she organized us and then we organized ourselves it's like you mm. nothing nothing would happen without her um i don't know where she mm. gets it from i mean she's her her um we, nobody knows how old she is. Um, nope, nobody knows how she. <laughs> she's an enigma. She's an enigma, <laughs> and no, no one knows why she's so good at organizing, where she got her skills from. But she's like just incredible. And I remember mm. the first time we had a casuals network, and she just walked in and basically introduced everybody to the concept of radical democracy and what that actually feels like, and everyone mm. was just fucking hooked, just hooked. Amazing. You do. Yeah. You get those people in movements who pop up, and you're like, "Who made you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How did this happen? What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So she's yeah, well, she's incredible. Big shouts. So. Yeah, excellent. Let me ask in general: Is there anything that you want to plug? I mean, do you have a message for anyone out there who wants to get involved with with uni organizing, either, either at Melbourne or um, elsewhere in universities? Mm. I mean, join your fucking union. Mm. Why don't we? Why don't we plug join the union. union? Join the fucking union. Yeah, yeah. Join the union, but also talk to people. Like, literally, like you know, just just have conversations with people. It's that's really like you know what in the time. So I think in the time that we've been organizing, there were. At the start of like 2018 or whatever, when, when Melbourne Uni was going through this like bargaining kind of process, there were within the Faculty of Arts at Melbourne, there were what, 150 casual members? Is that right, Nick? Yeah, less. 100. And then, 
100, 100 casual members, and now there are over 600. No, it's mm. over 750 the last time I checked. All right, it's over 750 <laughs> members. That's a lot. That's actually huge. That's huge. Um, That's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, it's a lot of growth for a year and a half. Yeah, and so it's it's part of part of it is like chatting to people, chatting to people at work that you are with, which obviously in the casualized workforce is like much harder. Mm. Um, but just like you know, talk to people, have conversations, and also be visible. Visibility is key because mm. um, then people, it's like you know, they they hear stuff, um, you know, like you did, Zach. You're not even at Melbourne Uni, but you heard about it. I mean, yeah. we talk about it at parties, but whatever. We're really fun and cool. Um, I mean, talking about stuff at parties uh, can be a revolutionary act. I don't want you to downplay that because, hey, look, you're here now on some fucking Z-grade podcast. <laughs> Z, is it, is but Z also the that? memes. The memes. Sorry. Yes, Z for Zach. Z for Zach. Zach, Zach grade. Yeah. Um, but the memes as well, and I'm not even joking about yeah. that. That like, um, putting your message out there in ways that people can, um, in like casually engage with and also understand is super important. Hey, I know that dog meme. That's funny. Yeah. What's this about? One point five million dollars a year for the VC? That's fucked. I might look into this yeah. a bit more. That I mean, I you know, noon My and I. My computer's about to die, so I have to go. But okay. it's going to die and we only I mean, have one charger in the house. And the one thing I'll say before I go, the one plug, people always say, I don't want to join the union. My union's shit. It's like, well, fucking join the union and change your union. As Sophie said before, you are the union. And yeah. Yeah. So boom. get involved boom. in whatever you your union. nearest point of contact is and make it better. Make it look the way you yes. want it to look. Stop being a little bitch and make your union better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Okay. I won't be repeating that, but um, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, um, thank you so much for joining me, you two. I really appreciate it. Um, No worries. Fantastic work. And uh, I apologize for the extremely meandering interview, but um, I think you both uh, express yourself gorgeously and there's um, a whole heap in there that people will be able to take from this. So um, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And, you know, what was it you said? Viva the revolution? Viva la revolution. Viva the revolution. Yeah. You heard it here from this French revolution tutor. <laughs> this is coming from an expert. Yeah. Long live the revolution. All right. Take it easy, you two. Goodbye. That was a fun one. Um, I it was. Really, I, yeah, I really loved uh, the way that Nick and Sof described all of, you know, all, all of the amazing positive experiences that come from totally. being part of a of a union and um i i just think it's something that you don't hear nearly enough about um and i think Activists, that it can, you know go we, on. we they uh, get burnout and it's exhausting and it's mm. all like spending all your time looking at the worst possible thing that you can imagine so that you can try to stop it but <laughs> yeah. it's also full of like camaraderie and friends and engagement and uh meaning and value and yeah i think that uh that interview kind of really illustrated that like yeah they got the win and that's the most important thing but they also like built a community and themselves while doing yeah, that. yeah absolutely 
Um, thank you for joining us this week. We appreciate it. And thank you all of our Patreon supporters for your support. If you want to support the show financially, you can do so over on patreon.com slash ozpulsesnackpod. Throw us one US dollar a month and you'll get a monthly bonus episode plus some other cool stuff. Uh, we also really appreciate reviews wherever you can post them. iTunes and the Apple podcast app are the best place for for you to do it. But anywhere else is much appreciated as well. And if you get the chance, share us with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. All right. I think that's us. Uh, fuck cups, crunch, crunch. <laughs> you said it.